Well, again, let me say, Happy New Year. Uh, it is good to begin a new year, not just in the sanctuary, but with the Lord's Supper. And so in all the comments that I have this morning, I want you to know that this is where we're concluding. This is where we're going this morning. But Happy New Year. Today, the page has turned. The calendar has flipped. We have put 2022 to bed, and we have begun day one of 2023. Now, for some of us, a new year serves as that annual opportunity for a fresh start, a time for resolutions, to assert change or improvement to the various rhythms and disciplines of life. Why, I'm going to make my bed every morning this year. I'll tidy my room, we say. Clean out my closet. Keep my car better serviced. Balance my checkbook. Work ahead. Finish home improvement projects. <laughs> Cut out desserts. Have less screen time exercise more, and stress less. Some of us think that way. Some of us set goals and seek to change our patterns and our disciplines. But for others of us, talk of resolutions and change is dangerous. Why, don't you know that it was the Babylonians who had a feast of resolution it's rooted in paganism. Christians shouldn't talk about such things as resolutions, some people say. Or fear. Why, you shouldn't set such lofty goals for yourself. You could become anxious. You could become depressed if you fail. Or some might say, well, it's really just all a bad idea because you'll give yourself over to works righteousness. And others would say, hey, just be true to yourself this year, whatever that means. There are all kinds of ways that we either embrace or we deflect opportunities for change, even resolve for change. And this morning, I would bet we have a little bit of most of that in our gathering. A little bit of those personality types, perhaps, is what it really is. To be clear, the scriptures talk a lot about the need for change in all of us. Not superficial change, not self-serving change, not worldly change, but deep, lasting, internal transformation that is God-honoring and sin-killing change. That kind of change is the kind that God alone can work in sinners. And this morning, we're going to see that He is resolved to do that very thing in His people. So with that important distinction and clarification in mind, I'd like to begin 2023 by turning our attention to the theme of deep, lasting change and God's resolve 
to make all things new. There are several passages that we'll hear this morning, but the first is from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 28. Listen to what the Lord says He will do, what He is at work doing. The Lord says, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Let's pray for help in understanding the Lord's word. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning? that we might see what your word promises to do in your people. Lord, would you open our ears this morning that we might hear what your word promises to do in your people. And Lord, would you open our hearts this morning that we might believe what your word promises to do in your people. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name for the good of his church. Amen. Lots of quotes swirling on New Year's resolutions uh, this week. Uh, One from Kevin DeYoung, who posted on social media, There are simple habits that can help us grow as people and as Christians in the new year. Study the Bible, pray, read books, sleep more, exercise more. Use the phone less, be online less, use the TV less, get plugged into a good church. All of that's true, isn't it? All that's good. Those are probably worthy resolutions for all of us. But did you know that statistics suggest that 80% of New Year's resolutions are abandoned in less than 30 days? Now, you may be the resolution maker or you may be the one with crossed arms that is already mad at my sermon because I've mentioned resolutions several times. But there is a reason why all of us who have labored for change have found it to be so difficult. And that is because change is hard. We are creatures of habit. More than that, we are sinful creatures of sinful habit. And so, number one, change is hard. And number two, our resolve is weak. Change is hard and our resolve is weak. Now, here's where the good news of the sermon, I want to be loud and clear. The whole emphasis of our sermon this morning is really not on our resolve for change. It's on God's resolve to change us that he promises to do a new work in his people, that he is busy at work 
doing that very thing. And so probably a bad idea to have a five-point sermon when most of you stayed up till midnight either to watch a ball drop or to see if a football went through uprights. I won't tell you which one I did. But there are five points, but I'm going to try to make them smooth and, and swift. And the first is this, the resolve for our change, the resolve for our change. It is the promise of God. It's not our resolve. It's the promise of God to change us. There's a glimpse of that in Ezekiel chapter 36 where we hear that he is the architect. He's the engineer. He's the one who must put a new heart in his people. A heart that will seek to know him. A heart that will seek to obey him. And so we're called upon to believe in that promise of God. He is a heart changer. He changes the will, the passions, the affections of sinners who look to him in faith and who trust him. So the resolve for our change is truly, it's the promise of God. He is the changer of people. Number two, the hope for our change. The hope for our change is not in our own personal discipline or our resolve or our good efforts. Our hope for deep and lasting and true change of the heart is in the purpose of God. That He has purpose. He has stated that this is what He is doing in the current earth and in the world to come. Well, what does that mean? Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. We're in the revelation of John. We're given this this telling of what God is ultimately doing, what His purpose is. So listen to this passage from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. In his vision, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now listen, Revelation is a complicated book. It's difficult to understand. But what is very clear is that God has promised and shows that he will fulfill his promise to make all things new. 
Everything as we know it in this fallen world, he will undo. And his words are faithful and true. So God had promised in the Old Testament to do a new work. He would do something in the earth through his people. We still believe that's true. And he promises here at the end of all of Scripture that he's going to fulfill that work. He will make all things new. And we're to long for that. We're to believe in that. We're to hope for that. That this is all going somewhere. And he's the author of it. That is our hope for change. We may abandon our resolutions. God doesn't abandon his. He is resolved to do a new thing in us and ultimately in the earth with a new earth to be redeemed and created by him. Thirdly, the power for change. Where's this power to change within us come from? Well, it's, as I've already said, it's not our power. It's not our might. It's not our strength. It's God's power. It's what he has committed himself and his resources to do in us. Two brief passages that reflect that truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, his second coming. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So this work of sanctification, this change, this deep and lasting change that God is committed to doing, He's the author of it. He will see it through. He will do it. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's the power for change. God Himself does it. He works in us. And so our great attention should be given to His power, His resources. Now this is a good segue to prepare us for power from God that is being offered to us this morning. Did you know that? God is offering this kind of power for change to you and you and you and you and to me this morning. And he does it in his word. He does it through prayer. And this morning we get to experience it in a very tangible way. He does it through his sacrament. Where we are reminded of what he has done and what he is doing and what he ultimately will fulfill and do in his people. It's called the means of grace. The means by which God works grace into the hearts of his people. His word, the sacraments, and prayer. And so there's power for us. And by faith, we believe that and we embrace it. Fourthly, the reason for our change. Why should you and I aspire for any kind of change in our lives? Well, let's be clear. It's for the glory of God and not for ourselves not for our personal satisfaction, not for personal self-improvement. 
It's ultimately, for the Christian, it's ultimately for the glory of God. This week I came upon something I had not seen or heard before, and I'll recommend it to you if you're interested. It's Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions. Jonathan Edwards, that early American theologian, he was the third president at Princeton, a faithful man of God, early 1700s. You can Google this and find it. That's what I did. But he has listed 70 personal resolutions. And what blows me away is not that he had 70 resolutions. It's that he was 19 years old when he did this. Now, you read those resolutions. They don't sound like I did at 19 or like any 19-year-old I've ever known. They are deep and thoughtful, engaging both the head and the heart in his Christian life. I won't read any of those. Maybe I'll do that another time. But there is a little statement, a preamble to his 70 resolutions that is really beautiful. It's really strong. And it's this. I think maybe I have it. I do. It says this. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. That is to say, for Christ's glory. What a great context. If you are a resolution maker, what a great context for our own preamble to the beginning of a new year. We want to be, he gives us four things there. We want to be sensible. We want to be dependent. We want to be humble. And we want everything we do to be done for Christ's sake. And if you read those 70 resolutions, you'll find that that is the echo and theme throughout every resolution. He is consistent with that. He, he says we should be sensible. We want to be well-reasoned from Scripture with something that we resolve to do. We want to be dependent. We want to know that it's God's grace alone, it's God's strength, it's His power that would give success in this. And therefore, we want to be humble. If we have success in our keeping of resolution, we don't want to be prideful because we know that we're sinners and it's God alone who can change the will and work of a sinful heart. And he says, and it's all got to be for the sake of Christ, not for vain glory, not for self-glory, but for the glory of Christ, for the glory of God. Good wisdom there. Uh, good wisdom for all of us. So if you are one who practices resolution, perhaps here's a paradigm, here's a pattern through which you can filter your thought and your motive. And if you're not one who makes any resolution, it's probably appropriate to ask, well, why not? If God is resolved to see change in you, would it not be good to give attention to where one needs to grow and where one needs to change? So long as it's sensible, dependent upon God, humble, and for Christ's sake, for His glory. It's a good paradigm. It's a faithful paradigm. And it comes to us from a 19-year-old, which continues to blow me away. Fifthly, the pitfalls of change. 
the pitfalls when we experience personal change. I'm going to speak to this in two categories. Number one, two things to beware. Your success in change. What if you're successful? What if you just get it together in 2023? New year, new you. You're on fire. Well, we always have to beware legalism. And we always have to beware self-righteousness. So if you're one, maybe you crush resolutions every year. You're a person of great discipline. You'll probably find in your own heart that it can start to think, wish these other people around me were more serious. They just can't get it together. They should try harder like me, right? All right, beware that spirit, that legalistic and self-righteous spirit. It's God alone who changes sinners. And so be thankful, don't be prideful. But secondly, another thing to beware if you should make resolutions for change is if you fail, or according to statistics, when you fail. Your response as a Christian who believes the gospel is not to be self-loathing and self-condemning. You know, resolutions and efforts for change, we can crush ourselves with those because we messed up again. We made it four days and we totally collapsed. The Christian should not find himself in total despair. He should find himself in repentance and acknowledgement that I really am not capable of change in and of myself. God, would you be merciful and continue to work a spirit of change in me? So beware if you're successful and beware if you should fail. And really, those are your two options. Either way, the Christian has to beware. We have to apply the gospel of grace to both our successes and our failures. So I'll conclude with this, if you'll allow me. It's time for a cool change. So this is one of my favorite songs at this time of year. Um, Those of you of the age, oh, I won't name what the age is, but I'm it. Um, Little River Band. Uh, It's a great theme song for the month of January if you're needing something. But it's time for a cool change, they said in 1979. And, And the beginning of the lyric says this. If there's one thing in my life that's missing, it's the time that I spend alone. Now, he goes on to answer that by saying, I need to be out sailing on the water. That's just where I'm at my best. But that's not why it's a theme song for me. I know that I've got to have time alone. That can be the one thing that I lack the most, to be alone in prayer, to be alone in God's word. They go on to say, life is so prearranged. Life is so busy. We're scattered. But the thing that I'm really missing is being alone, letting my thoughts center and focus as they should. And they says, and now that my life is so prearranged, I know that it's time for a cool change. Enjoy that song uh, today. Go and listen to that after you read Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions. Um, You may need more time alone this year. You may need to structure to be alone to be in prayer, to be in God's word. But it's time for a cool change. We're not to be apathetic towards change. 
We really are to believe that God is at work changing us. We can't change ourselves. It is a good thing to resolve for change. Now, final word from another angle. Jack Miller said this about resolutions. I don't think he would disagree with what I've said this morning, but this is his summary of it. The only New Year's resolution I make every year is to collapse more fully on Christ. I trust in his resolve, not mine. Well, amen. That doesn't mean that we're all left just to be who we are, right? Let other people worry about change. No, God's God's promised. He's pledged himself to change his people. So we looked expectantly for God to be at work in us, even through us. But our resolve is never enough. It's God's resolve to fulfill his promises. Do you believe that? Can you trust in that? Can you even labor by faith in that? Let's pray that that would be true. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you work in us, stir us up a desire to grow and to change this year? Where we need discipline, would you bring discipline into our life? Where we need structure, where we need change, where we need repentance, would you bring that into our lives? Lord, where we need to think differently and be corrected, where we need to be softened, would you work that into our lives? Lord, where we're unloving and unkind towards others, would you work grace and patience into our lives? Lord, we ask you to do this not just because we want to be better people. Lord, we ask this because we believe your promise, that you're changing your people. Do it deeply. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.